Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Savior, Jesus Christ, dear brothers and sisters, in our Savior. Have I offended you? Have I hurt you? Have I disappointed you? If the answer is no, then just wait. It'll happen. And it'll happen because that's what we do, right? That's what happens. It doesn't just happen out there in the world. It doesn't just happen at work with your friends, with your neighbors. It happens here, too, in a church, with other Christians, even with our family, Because while we might be believers, we are still sinful people. And sinful people sin. And so if I if I haven't hurt you yet, just wait. It's coming. Not because I want to, um, but because honestly, chances are are just better that I'm gonna hurt you. Because I mean we see each other at least once a week, right? And I tend to, to say a lot of words. Between the couple thousand in the sermon and, and greeting at the door and, and chatting during setup and, and mingling after worship and f- texts and emails and phone calls and visits during the week and, and all of these things, the chances are that sometime I'm going to say something that, that bothers you. Or I'm going to say I'm going to do something and I forget or fail and I leave you disappointed. And so I'm going to tell you right now, I'm sorry. I'm not using that as a a get-out-of-jail-free card, right? Please, if I disappoint you or hurt you or offend you, please tell me, and I will gladly apologize. But I'm telling you that because I I in no way intend to hurt you because that's what Christians do, right? We, We don't want to hurt each other. And yet the reality is it's going to happen. So what do you do when someone... Christians, fellow Christians, family, even your pastor hurts, against, hurts you, sins against you, offends you. Hopefully you're not surprised to find out Jesus actually addressed that very thing. And he, he had his gospel writer, Matthew, record it for us so that we would have an answer. We would have a process to go through in how we are to deal with other people and especially Christians, especially our family, when somebody hurts us, sins against us. And so Jesus describes that process in Matthew 18. And we actually begin a few verses before our text this morning. Matthew 18, verse 15, Jesus says, If your brother or sister sins against you, sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen, You have won them over. So when sin happens in God's family, Jesus says, don't ignore it. Because it's not healthy for you, and it certainly isn't healthy for the person who sinned. Help them to see their sin, right? If if they don't know, how how can they make it right? How can they be forgiven? And if you don't tell them, well, what happens... What tends to happen is we we stuff it, right? We put it deep down inside and eventually 
it festers and boils over. And the devil wants nothing more than to use that sin to drive a wedge between two of God's children. And so Jesus says, if someone sins against you, address it. Not on social media, not putting them on blast, not not going and telling somebody else. But he says very simply, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. This is between you and that other person. So it's your responsibility then to lovingly tell them, I was hurt. You sinned against me. This is what happened. And and the desired goal, that they listen. That they see their fault, that they admit their fault, and they ask for forgiveness because then you get to do the very thing God wants us to do. You get to forgive them, right? That brings us to our first takeaway this morning, that when someone sins against me, God always, always, always wants the end goal to be forgiveness. Now, it isn't always that quick and that easy because we're still two sinful people, right? And so Jesus then lays out other steps to take to work through the process to lead, God willing, to that end goal of forgiveness, But this morning, our our focus isn't on the other steps to take. Our focus is on the end goal. Our focus is on forgiveness. And the reason is that it's just hard. I mean, it's probably the hardest thing a Christian does. And there's a reason for it because while we're Christians, we're still sinful, right? And so what what does our sinful nature want always? It always wants the opposite of what God wants. God wants forgiveness. My sinful nature wants not forgiveness, wants me to hold on to that because then I can be mad. And then at a time and place of my choosing, I can, I can hurt you back because you hurt me. That's why Jesus then continues the conversation, not just with how to forgive, but how much to forgive and why to forgive. He uses a story, a, a parable, that we're going to take a look at in just a few minutes. But before we get there, Peter asks a question. Peter came up to Jesus after Jesus explained this whole thing about how to, how to deal with someone who sins against you and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Reasonable question, right? Up to seven times? See, the the common teaching among the Jewish leaders at the time was that you forgive someone up to three times. That sounds about right in our culture, right? I mean, give everybody deserves a second chance. We all know that. Up to three times, okay. And Peter, right, he's taking this number three, doubling it, adding one more. He's thinking, man, I am shooting so high, Jesus is going to go, Peter, way to go, buddy. You're really... You're really aiming high. This is so sanctified, so godly of you. And let's be honest, we want Peter to be right, don't we? We want Peter to be right that there is a cap. That there is exceptions. And that's why our second takeaway is real simple. 
I want to put limits and conditions on my forgiveness. We want exceptions. We want that thing that they did was so bad. What they said was so hurtful. I'm going to put it in this special category over here. Yeah, if, it hadn't, if they hadn't said this, it'd be okay. But this goes in this special category that I am not forgiving. It's too many. It's too big. It's too bad. No. Jesus, though, has a very different take on how many and how to forgive. And that's why he responds like this. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And if you've ever read that verse out of a Bible, you've probably noticed that there's a footnote there. And in the, the footnote, if you jump down to the bottom of the page, it says, or 70 times seven. See, that's the way that, that Greeks would write their numbers. And so the question is, did Jesus mean... Is that just the way that the Greeks wrote it? Or is, did Jesus actually mean we need to do some basic multiplication before we figure out if we're supposed to forgive somebody? The point is actually the fact that we're not sure. It's actually perfectly okay to go, we don't have an answer, and, and that actually solidifies and, and emphasizes what Jesus is saying. Because whether it's 77 times or 490 times, which is 70 times 7, for those of you still on fall break, whether it's 77 times or 490, it's a lot. In fact, if you're going to try to keep track, it's probably going to be pretty close to a full-time job. Ooh, Bob, you're up to 52. Susie, oh, we're at 240. We're halfway there, right? If we're keeping track of all of the times that people have hurt us and offended us and sinned against us and we have forgiven, we have completely missed the point. Because Jesus' point is very simple. It's our third takeaway this morning. That God's forgiveness has no limits or conditions. And that God wants my forgiveness to mirror his forgiveness. And that's where it gets tough, isn't it? God wants you and he wants me to forgive like he forgives. And we want to plead ignorance to that fact, don't we? We want to pretend like, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, there's exceptions, there's, I didn't know. Oh, yeah, you did. And I, how, how do I know that? Because you pray it. And you've prayed it dozens or hundreds or even thousands of times when you prayed the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins, our trespasses, as we forgive those who sin or trespass against us. Do you understand? You're, you're asking God, your Father in heaven, the one who forgives sins, you're asking him, forgive me in the same way that I am forgiving this person who I am not really actually forgiving. And that's where it gets scary, isn't it? Because God wants us to forgive as he forgives. And that means, our fourth takeaway, that, 
as far as it depends on me. We're not talking about impenitence. We're talking about what, what I control, what I do. Forgiveness is not optional. Within the family of believers, God doesn't say, you cannot forgive that one. It's okay. It's not. You can't. It's not optional. It's not easy, but not forgiving someone actually hurts you usually far more and for far longer than the other person who's forgotten, maybe didn't even know that they hurt you, has moved on and gone on, and you're still standing stuck in that spot, harboring that hurt. But far more importantly, it puts you in serious spiritual danger. To drive home that point, then Jesus tells a story. It's about a, about a king who's got these vassal servants who owe him a debt, and they're going to settle up. The king calls, calls the debt, right? So we pick up in verse 23. Jesus says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. So this guy owes an insane amount of money. Insane. 10,000 bags of gold. It's like billions and billions and billions of dollars. Right? The entire nation of Galilee. So in the original Greek, this says 10,000 talents. A talent was a, a measurement of weight. So a bag of gold, right? We can understand that. So 10,000 talents, the, the, the entire nation of Galilee had a tax bill to the Roman Empire of 200 talents a year. This guy owed 50 years of a country's tax bill. That is an immassive, just a huge, huge, huge debt. One that could never be repaid. And the king knows it, right? Take a look, verse 25. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he owned, all that he had, be sold to repay the debt. That sounds drastic. And it is. This is the only way, though, that the king is going to see any of that money coming back, any, to recoup any of what he's owed, is to sell everything that this guy owns. Everything that belongs to him, including the guy. But the guy, he's got a request. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. It's a pretty bold request, right? Be patient with me, and I'll pay back everything. Is that realistic? No. He owes so much money, not realistic. Is it possible? Kind of in the the dumb and dumber way of saying, so you're saying there's a chance, right? Like, one in a couple billion? Possible. But, but this is way less than 1%. There's no way the king is going to, he's going to fall for this, right? There's no way the king is going to just, okay, yeah, I'll give you time because that's not going to really help anything. Look what the king does. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him canceled the debt and let him go. Can you imagine that? I want you to think about how big your mortgage is for a moment, if you have a mortgage, or how big it was at one time. Now I want you to imagine 
you owned 500 homes and had a mortgage on all of them. And the first payment comes due and the bank calls you up and says, yeah, you know, we're going to call the entire note. Balloon today. It was going to be hard enough to make payment number one. How in the world are you going to pay for all 500 all at once? It's just not possible. But you beg, just give me a little time and I'll come up with the money. Is that realistic? No. But instead of foreclosing, instead of laughing at you to your face and saying, there's no way, you've, I've seen your income. I've seen your bank account sheets. It's not even possible. Instead of laughing at you, the bank manager takes those contracts, stamps them paid in full, drops them into a shredder, shakes your hand and says, have a good day. What just happened? How would you feel as you walked out of that bank with this massive, massive debt that you could never repay gone, this huge weight lifted off of you? Thankful? Joy-filled? I would imagine so, right? Excited to tell everybody, holy cow, you're not going to believe what just happened. Like, this is nuts. So good. Take a look at how that servant responded. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. So the guy that had been forgiven billions of dollars found the guy who owed him a couple hundred bucks. Now this isn't nothing, right? There's still a debt here. But it's almost nothing compared to what had just been wiped off the record. And instead of going, hey, buddy, don't forget about that money you still owe me. He grabs him, physically grabs him, puts his hands around his neck, starts to throttle him, and demands repayment. The servant's answer. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. The exact same words that that first servant had just said to the king, this guy now says to him, just be patient and I will pay it back. The difference is, this one's actually possible. If you just give this guy, you know, a couple days, a couple weeks, he'll come up with that money. However, verse 30, he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. That first servant, he didn't care. He wasn't interested in mercy. He wasn't interested in patience. He wanted what belonged to him, what was owed to him, and he wanted it now. He wasn't willing to listen. He wasn't willing to give the guy any breaks, cut him any slack, show him any mercy. And so he had him thrown into prison. But this didn't happen in a vacuum. Because sin never does. Look what happens. Verse 31, When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. 
Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. The king is told what happens and he is outraged and rightfully so. He had shown a crazy amount of mercy. And the guy who had been on the receiving end of all of it couldn't even give an ounce of it. Not even a, a glimpse of mercy to his fellow servant. And the result was the king threw him into prison to be tortured for the rest of his life. Jesus then delivers the, the punchline, if you will, the the reason, the purpose for this whole story, verse 35, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. See, here's why takeaway number four, forgiveness isn't optional. That might have been a little bit uncomfortable. But it's far more comfortable than not forgiving. Than, than claiming ignorance and, and pretending like you don't know and, and holding on and harboring anger and resentment and bitterness instead of forgiving. Because for those who have been forgiven, forgiveness is not optional. The problem is, that's us, isn't it? I mean, think of how often we tend to be that first servant. We know what God says not to do, right? And then we go and do those things. We know the things God says to do, right? Be kind and compassionate and be humble and all these good things, and, and, and yet we don't do them. And so for all of the times that we are unloving to others, for all of the times that, that we put ourselves and our selfish desires ahead of God, for all of the times that we break God's commands, that all of the times that we sin, we are racking up this debt. And if you think about days and weeks and months and years and decades of watching that debt meter run, we have massed up, we have amassed a huge, huge, huge debt of sin. And we can never pay back even one of it. And we've got a problem, don't we? Because we, des we deserve to be turned over to the punishment and torture of hell for eternity. That's what we deserve. But our king, our king is also merciful. Incredibly so. And that's why when our king came here to this earth, he didn't come to demand payment. He came to make the payment. That's what Jesus did at the cross. There he gave his perfect life. He had lived in our place perfectly obeying where we so, so often fail. And he made the payment, not a, not a free one, not an insignificant cost. He paid with his own blood, with his own life, so that you and I, our debt, whew, forgiven, wiped clean from our record. Not just some of it, 
not just the little, the little things, not just like the, the thoughts, but those actions, well, we got to deal with that. Nope. All gone. Washed in the blood of Jesus. Every single last one, from the, the unintentional, selfish desires, the, the fleeting thoughts, to the outright hatred and greed and lust and everything in between. Jesus forgave them all. And when God looks at you, when God looks at me because of Jesus, he sees perfection. He sees innocence and righteousness and purity. That is beautiful, isn't it? To stand and, and and grasp what God has done for you, what God has done for me. The problem is that sometimes, maybe too often, we lose a little bit of grip on reality, like that first servant, right? He, he lost the grip of all that he had been forgiven. He, he failed to grasp the immensity of what had just taken place. And as a result, he had no mercy. And too often we fail to grasp the immensity of the debt of our sin, of, of what it means that Jesus has washed you and me clean of all, all of our debts, all of our sins. He didn't leave some that were too bad. We'd like to do that, right? Oh, that one goes into special category. As those soldiers were pounding the nails into Jesus' hands and feet, do you remember what he said? Father, strike them down right now. Nope. He said, Father, forgive them. See, it wasn't just easy. It wasn't just like the inconsequential things. It was all of them that Jesus paid for, that Jesus has wiped clean, that he has washed from your record. Instead of putting a cap, instead of putting exceptions, you are forgiven without exception, and without limit. What a beautiful thing that is. And that means that you and I, who have been forgiven, despite the fact that we don't deserve any of it, well, we forgive like God forgives. That's our fifth takeaway this morning, our last one, that I don't forgive others because they deserve it. I forgive because God forgives me. See, that's really the secret to forgiveness. It's to understand what it is to be forgiven. To stand beneath the cross, like we just sang, and to admit my faults to my God every day. And to marvel at the fact that he picks me up, washes me clean, takes me back to my baptism where he made me his child and says, you are mine. You are perfect and holy. That's what it means to be forgiven. And when we marvel at that beauty, we marvel at that gift, the immensity of it all, Well, it makes me realize that forgiveness isn't something that I hold on to, is it? 
I give forgiveness because God forgives me. And when we treasure that forgiveness, when it fills up our hearts, when we are are so filled with thanks and with joy that our, our hearts are just overwhelmed, our souls are filled up with forgiveness, well, then we forgive. Because we know what it means to be forgiven. We know what it means to have that immense debt washed away. And so as we look at our friends who hurt us, our pastor when he disappoints us, our spouse that annoys us, our coworker that angers us, our kids that frustrate us, well, we forgive. Because we've been forgiven so, so much. And we don't do it to avoid the wrath of the king. We do it because we rejoice in forgiveness. And we get to give this gift to others. Amen.